Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to an installment of a beautiful podcast. How are you this fine Thursday, the 8th of December? Uh, it is a, an amazing day. Um, sadly, Spring One was, uh, you know, the in-person Spring One event was uh, postponed and turned into a virtual event from January. Uh, but some of us have converged on San Francisco, some uh, spring R&D engineers, uh, and myself have converged in San Francisco for meetings, and uh, it's just been one of those wonderful weeks where I've just been reunited with people I haven't seen in more than three years. You know, my teammates, I've, I've seen them in Zoom, of course, but to have the chance to sit with him, to, to be with him, has been great. Uh, being mindful, of course, that, uh, you know, as we speak, it seems like every other person we know has some sort of respiratory ailment, be it a flu, a cold, COVID, RSV, whatever. So something shouldn't be open sourced. Uh, and I've always said that. I think that's fair. Um, uh, but it's been great. It's been really good. I've, I've missed my friends. I've missed your friends. I mean, these are good people. These are people that will, that help all of us get to production faster. So it's just been really great to, to be here with them. And it's been a busy, busy few weeks. You know, I, um, I, I've just been, talking to people about the latest and greatest Spring Boot 3 and Spring Framework 6 releases. I mean, there's so much good stuff uh, in that. And, of course, I'm I'm a big fan of the new AOT engine. But don't get me wrong. I don't know that everybody's going to use the AOT engine. I don't know why they wouldn't use the AOT engine, um, or, or at least try, right? I mean, I, it's not going to be 100% guaranteed to work for everybody, obviously, because of the nature of what we're trying to do here, which is to take types that uh, – or code – that runs afoul of the constraints of GraalVM, namely uh, serialization, proxies, JNI, resource loading, uh, etc., and and make it work. And you can do that by furnishing configuration, um, either as JSON files or using the Spring Boot 3 AOT engine. But if you do that, the result can be, I mean, phenomenal. You get an application that starts up in no time, so suddenly you've got something that works well in a serverless context, which is, you know, fine, although I don't think the whole world has moved to functions, uh, and for good reason. Um, and, and more importantly, you have something that takes just very, very little RAM, right? And that RAM is what I think is so valuable. You know, you get this, you have this mechanism that allows you to deploy an application for some small fraction of the, of the footprint that it would have otherwise taken up. So I think that's a, a really compelling sort of use case. Um, uh, it's just been really great. So, so naturally, I'm keen on seeing everything I can uh, make work, get made to work uh, in in GraalVM. So, you know, you can expect uh, support for AOT in the Kubernetes Java client coming soon. There's already uh, support, preliminary support in JHipster and in VOD and Flow and Hilla. Uh, Axon, I think it's working on stuff. I'm not sure if it's out yet. Um, you know, and obviously the, the core of Spring portfolio projects, Spring Data, Spring Security, Spring Batch, Integration, uh, data, you know, all the session, all that stuff already works, you know. Uh, it's just, a, just phenomenal. I mean, you can build really useful, uh, applications out of the box, um, and just take them to a GovM native image, and that works for a surprising swath of applications, you know, and I think that's a really special place to be in right now. It's a really am- amazing opportunity, right? You can take your applications, upgrade to Spring Boot 3, and by the way, I'm not saying that that's going to be completely pain free, but those are sort of, ambient um issues right those are those are kind of ambient uh, migration jumps or hurdles 
not least of all, uh, that you have to go to Java 17, which is not that big a deal because Java is, you know, famously very stable. Uh, but also you have to move to, if you are using, uh, the existing Java EE types, uh, you'll have to move to Jakarta EE. And that is just a package change. It's just a namespace change. Um, it's not something that we can control on the spring team. It's not something that we did, but it is sort of an incidental hiccup you'll experience when you make the jump. Um, uh, but that said, you know, um, it's not that big a deal, right? Like it's, it is worth, is well worth doing just because if you can take advantage of this native image compilation mechanism, there's some amazing possibilities, truly amazing. So, uh, you know, I just, I really am so excited. I was just sat with the good Dr. Dave Sire, who of course is a regular on this show, uh, the other day. And we talked about, uh, you know, this, we're talking about gRPC. Uh, and, you know, leave it to the good doctor. Just, he kind of went off on a hair and, uh, got the community gRPC starter made to work, made it to work with just a smidge of, uh, of configuration. He made it to work in a Gravium native image context, right? So you could build a gRP service and client, you know, um, <laughs> and then turn it into a native image. I mean, it's amazing. Imagine, uh, the kinds of use cases here we have. You know, Gravium, uh, is super lightweight, so you can deploy these applications. Uh, in contexts that they wouldn't have otherwise been sort of appropriate. So Kubernetes controllers and uh, uh, embedded and firmware and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and you know, now you've got great support for GraphQL. You've got gRPC. You've got RSocket. You've got MQTT and Spring Integration. I mean, there's so many ways for these applications to be useful and to integrate uh, with other services in the, in the ecosystem, you know, beyond, of course, the obvious like RabbitMQ and Kafka and HTTP and REST and all that. Uh, and those are all supported in a native image context. So, I mean, you know, sky's the limit, my friends, or, or the, uh, the circuit board's the limit, right? I mean, you've got just infinite possibilities that are, uh, that were already there and have ex- since expanded in the wake of this new Gravium native image capability. Really exciting time. Just, <laughs> and it was palpable just talking to the team and kind of surveying all the possibilities and prospects, um, in this last few days with, of meetings. It's just been just amazing. Really amazing. Um, to that end, my friends, one, you know, one use case that has been super interesting to see make work, made work, uh, is Vaden. Now, and, and Hilla framework, I don't know if you've seen Hilla framework and Vaden. Vaden in particular, I thought would never happen. Um, cause I, maybe I, I didn't understand how it worked, but it seems kind of like sorcery. Basically, and again, I just don't ask me how. I still don't quite understand how. You write Java code and it compiles into a JavaScript app. Right. It's not GWT, but it's kind of like that. Um, and it used to be based on GWT, I think. Um, uh, and it's just a phenomenal experience because you can write code where your business logic lives on the server side, but your widgets, your client side UI is still client side, right? It's JavaScript. Uh, but when you click on a button, the event handler triggers action on the server side, which talks to your Spring Boot app. And that's always worked. But now the, you know, going a step further, they've actually got it so you can build a, you know, a, a server side that's native. So you can have a native image, uh, GraalVM, you know, using Spring Boot 3, uh, and you've got, uh, and now this isn't yet GA, but I've seen prototypes and I think they're moving to, you know, introduce that into the core code base. Uh, and so just the fact that that's going to be possible, my God, you know, you can deploy this tiny little couple, uh, you know, very, very small JavaScript app for the client, rich, dynamic, amazing JavaScript app that looks good and has all sorts of rich components and functionality. Uh, uh, on the client and then have this app server side image that takes, you know, 100 megs of RAM or whatever 
Ah, uh, yeah, it's an amazing time to be alive. Um, and you get that for one code base. You just write Java code and Spring code, and everything else just works. Fantastic. So uh, that's been really, really an amazing thing to see make work, made work. And um, to that end, I'm very excited about today's guest. Uh, today's guest is uh, my old friend, uh, somebody with whom I've had, uh, you know, almost a decade of uh, of you know interactions and, and uh, interesting work and development and all that stuff. Um, a guy named Marcus Helberg, who's um, on the Baden team, uh, just a friend of the community, friend of uh, the show, and I'm just glad to have him on the show. I hope you get something out of it. I hope you learn something from it because this is, I mean, what the 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 good folks at Baden are doing is just phenomenal, and that the fact that they've been doing it for so long. Um, and it's just been, you know, people don't know, but Vaden's actually been around for almost as long as, maybe even longer than Spring. It hasn't been the same thing that entire time. It's changed, uh, dramatically enough that, you know, you might characterize it as several different technologies, but, but that company has been building developer frameworks based on rich, uh, component UIs, uh, for decades, right? And so they are really good at it. This latest incarnation is magic. I mean, it is absolutely incredible what you can do. So I was just, I'm just very glad to, to have them, count them as friends. Um, all right, my friends, enjoy the episode, and as always, we'll see you next week. I I get to actually click on the button myself. Yeah, yeah, you have to you have to accept all the cookies, or I can't record you. That's the that's the law. Pretty sure that's how that works. Um, yeah. I mean, what cookies? I don't know. I don't I don't have any cookies. Do I have to have cookies if like my website is completely read only and there's no, I don't have like, do I have to ask, okay, let's say you go to my website and I don't use cookies and there's no server side and it's just a read only page. There's no reason for me to like tell people about anything, right? There's nothing going on. It's just, no. I mean, if you're not collecting any data on them, that's yeah. pretty why you would have to have a cookie consent. What if I, okay. So what if I use a cookie just to store the last known coordinates of a widget on the page so that it shows up in the same place again when the page re- refreshes. I think that's still okay. Like as long as it's not like PIDs, any... right? Like, Well, I might be wrong. I, I'm not I a lawyer. Know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't, that's the thing. I don't know. But I think it's like personal identifiable information, right? Identifiable that's, information. That's how I understand it. So if I'm just using it, like the, 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 web, the DOM persistent web storage right if i'm just using that is that and i'm not using it to store anything about the user just the configuration of the ui yeah do i have to tell people i mean i'm not doing that i'm not as far as i know doing that but like you know what if i am and uh god i don't want to be in trouble i'm thinking yeah. of just putting up a. you know i i like those that's why i like those static websites so much because yeah. i don't want state you know state bad you know i want just like cheap static HTML pages that render super quick. And if there is going to be state, my goodness, let it be like as cached and far from the user as possible. I'm, I do my level-headed best to do whatever I can without any user context. Uh, and it's uh, surprisingly easy. You can do a lot without asking questions about the user, you know? Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, maybe that's why I'm so terrible at, uh, security like spring security and all that like i get spring security and i can use it to do the the interesting stuff like set up oauth and you know uh http basic and forms and whatever but don't yeah. ask me to like contribute to that i don't know what i'm doing i'm not smart enough i don't have a security brain for it um no, my, uh, you, you need to have a security person to 
to ask and consult yeah. enough when you do that. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. So anyway, on the topic of like really fast, lightweight uh, clients, uh, you are Marcus Helbrook. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And did I butcher your name in that pronunciation? No, not at oh. all. Yeah, so my name is Marcus Helberg. It's surprisingly easy to say, even if you're <laughs> speaking, which is, yeah. I guess, handy. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm the the VP of DevRel over at Baden. So, doing developer relations work, which means essentially I get to play with all kinds of cool tech, go and talk to people about cool tech, and uh, yeah, uh, just kind of hang out with the community and make sure everyone's having a good time with Vaden, essentially right on i love Vaden. i'm a fan uh well that's cool so okay you're at Vaden. let's talk about that let's that's what i was talking about when i said the uh thin client business you know lightweight thin clients i think of Vaden as being like this really great great way to build apps um uh, okay can we do some history first because i don't i don't uh, like my experience with Vaden was my first experience was like 2011 right Yep. And they they were giving out those little thick little books. They're like five inches. Oh yeah, I remember. I've been carrying, logging those around to conferences <laughs> years and years. We fortunately don't have them anymore because they were a pain to be carrying around. Oh dear, they're that heavy, huh? I, I, that's true. I guess they must have been very heavy. I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't remember how many we we handed out at. Like thousands, millions, thousands at some point. Like there were boxes and boxes of of books, but they were great. I mean, people loved them. People would collect all the different versions of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did. Year. I had like ten of them over the different colors because they're like like white and yellow or yeah. pink and yellow, or whatever. Like the and green or, and blue and yeah, red. yeah, all, all and the they, colors and like neon. They weren't like regular colors. Like bright yellow, bright green. You, know, you could see them from a million out here in your bookshelf for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this stood out on a conference room showroom, a conference. We always made these like really fun towers out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those. I remember those very distinctly. They stood out. I always knew where they were. And I, even I, you know, I'm like, like you, right? I I used to travel and I used to be on planes. And um, I, uh, at some point, I don't want any more t shirts from any conferences anymore. Thank you. You know, I just have no more space at home. And, yeah. you know, even if I did, I don't have any space in my luggage and I'm not going home after this show. I have like 10 other countries to get to before I can go home. So I wasn't interested in carrying swag from every show, you know? And, uh, you know, it, there's a time between, between when I liked all that stuff and when I do not want any of it at all ever, right? There's a time in between where I would take the shirts home and I donated it to people. I donated to like the homeless groups here in San Francisco. You know, I'd give away these shirts because that way, at least they went to yeah. good use. But I didn't want them, but I could still take them with me. I still had the ability to go home every couple of trips or whatever. Well, then eventually it got crazy and I couldn't go home. Um, and so I, all I'm trying to say is, even when I got to that point where I just didn't want to take another T-shirt home or another piece of swag, I, I just, I didn't care anymore about that stuff. I still took those little books home because they were so small and they're like useful. They're yeah. they, you could put them on a, you could read them on a plane and have something to yeah. stare at that and was, learn from. That was exactly what we were going for. Like have something that people would like create on the way back yeah. home, 
just kind of great. And it was a real book. It wasn't like a brochure or whatever. It was like a couple hundred pages, I think, or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah it thick, you know, it was a real technical book. Like there was, <laughs> I don't remember there being any kind of marketing content in it, just mm-hmm. like documentation basically. Yeah. It's great. So I, I remember those books, but so that's my, so my first experience was, I did, I did, I, I, I went and talked to uh, Eunice and others at one of these shows back in the early 2010s. And yeah. um, what else? What, I think we did, they did, we, uh, they did, the, the good folks at Vaden did, we had a project called Spring Roo many years ago, right? Uh, Spring Roo was code generation. Right, because the idea was that there's too many things that a developer has to do to build an application that don't have to do with the Java code, right? Like you have to configure web.xml, you have to write a, write out JSP files, you have to write out um, HTML and CSS and all this other stuff that isn't related to public static void main or anything in that area. You know, you couldn't IntelliJ your way out of that. It was just boilerplate, right? It's just nonsense. And so Spring Roo is all about like hey, there are some strong opinions here, but we'll use those opinions to code generate and scaffold everything, just like Ruby and Rails, right? Um, And it was kind of interesting at the time. Now, I don't think the problem exists as much, right? I don't, or or rather, there are the kinds of concerns that were solved by code generation. A lot of them can be packaged in the framework. And to the extent that there is code generation, that is done by the framework itself. So, you know, yeah. But, exactly. uh, but I remember getting, I talked to Eunice and he was just super like uh, interested in making, even, even back then, 12 years ago, whatever, he was super interested in making Vaden a, a, a usable, wonderful thing for Spring developers. And so they yeah. built a Spring Root plugin. Do you remember this? Maybe, I don't know when you joined, but I, I vaguely remember it, but I wasn't yeah. involved in the actual like building and reusing. Yeah of said plugin, but I do remember like we have these like all hands meetings every, every Monday in the company. I do remember like, just like I've been at the company for 12 years now. So it's like right in that, that kind of early days. It was like early days. I remember people were talking about spring brew and, but I don't remember using it. No, nor do most people. It wasn't a particularly successful project, but uh, it was, I kind of liked it. And, I mean, at least it's like one of the things that I think didn't go great for us was we um, we were moving too quickly with their plugin model. And so amazing groups like Neo4j and like uh, like uh, like Vaden and, uh, you know, others, they would build these great plugins, you know, and then we would break the plugin API like next week. And so all this work would now have to be done anew. You know, it was just. Yeah. That's not how you, you build were, the system, you know. You were involved in like building the initial spring support for Vaden, right? You're working oh, with yeah. Matt there and, and somebody from our, our team on, on that. I remember seeing you in the commit log. Peter Leto. Um Yeah. Yeah. And so well that was but that was years later, right? That was yeah, so the, the first thing was that 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 collaboration, just talking to him over a stack of books about spring, and then my God, he came back like a few, I don't know, it felt like a minute. It was probably a month or two or three, I don't know. Um, but he he and, and Vaden had built this like spring root plug and it worked really well. And it was a cool demo and I really liked it. And then yeah. to make it worse, 
you know, we made it hard for that plugin to keep staying up to date. It was our, it was our fault, not his, you know? And, uh, yep. uh, and then, and then I just kept, I just remember thinking, you know what, this guy, he, he met me more than halfway, right? Like for all, you know, how it takes two to tango, right? It takes, if you want to do, if you want to share communities and want to help each other, you got to meet each other halfway. Right. And like yep. he met, he met us more than we met him. Right. He, he did more to, to support that. So, so then like fast forward, like three or four years, um, uh, to 2014, I think, or maybe 2015, I don't know. They're going to do like this webinar on like spring and, uh, and Vaden. And so he says, Hey, would you talk to these gentlemen and maybe, uh, help them set up for, or maybe even do a presentation with him on yeah. use cases for spring and Vaden. And, uh, mm, you know, we, I think we had this great conversation and it became kind of apparent that they hadn't gotten a chance to play with a then just released spring boot. Right. And so the strategies that they were going to go ahead and talk about didn't actually, they weren't nearly as as optimal as they could be, you know? Uh, and yeah. so we had this, we had this great collaboration and we were like four days away from the webinar, you know, we we're going to do a webinar and they like, we we're four days away. And then, I, and then I'm seeing, I'm seeing what they're talking about for the first time. And then we had this like great, like, cause I don't know, I didn't know much about the framework of Vaden and they didn't know much yeah. about spring boot. And they're at this time they're in uh, Finland. Yeah. Right? So nine hours difference or 10 hours difference. Um, and so I just remember doing this game of leapfrog, you know, I would work for eight hours and then leave really detailed notes about what I did. They work eight or nine hours, leave real detailed notes. And we just kept doing that for like four days until we had something that was the early support for Vaden and Spring Boot, which is a thousand times better. I think like a deadline to get, get stuff Nothing. done. Well, no, like, that, and that's but, like, you have like time zone differences and you get them to work for you instead of right. against. So nice. Well, well, that's actually, that was, it, it worked against us in this case, right? Because I wanted to be on the same page as these people. I wanted to work with them. And we actually did have some, we stayed up late, both sides stayed up late and both sides woke up early to make this work. Right. But I'm saying most of our days by definition were disjointed. Uh, and, yeah. and so I just, I remember working really hard when I thought it was just going to be like me popping in for like 20 minutes, ended up being like a week of solid hardcore work that I ended up like, Hey, I got to cancel everything and, and focus on this, you know? Um, and it was, it was great. The result was awesome because it, it works well with spring boot, right? It was a really, really good uh, story. And this is spring boot back in 2015. When we announced. Yeah. I'm there. Can you hear me? Hello. Can you hear me? Marco, Polo. Hello. Hello. I don't know what's okay. going on. I can. Sorry okay. about that. No it's problem. Like my internet is acting up or something. Uh, it happens all the time. So anyway, like uh, we we worked really hard. It was like three people that really wanted it to work. Three people that were willing to do the work. Three people that liked what we were doing and so it didn't feel like a labor or if it was it was a labor of love it was just such a great like, yeah. camaraderie and so that you know i and i just kept on thinking about back to what eunice had done eunice and Biden had done a few years earlier how they really came like 110 percent. so this is me returning the, returning the favor 
but the result was like great for both of us. You know, it was just such a cool yeah. magic trick to yeah, pull that off. And I mean, today we're like Spring Boot is our by far <laughs> number one platform that people run VOD naps on, and it's been such a great combination for all these years. So that I love it has paid off. <laughs> good, yeah. I mean, it was just. Uh... Such a great, it was good for, it's good for everybody. It's good for everybody if we have a nice connected ecosystem like that. So uh, yeah, it makes me happy. Yeah. That, that's made me happy. Yeah. So, I mean, like Vaden has this super long history. Like we're like, sometimes when I talk to people and we're like, well, we have this framework for web framework and it's 20 years old. And people are like, what? Like how, yeah, how yeah. can a web framework be 20 years old? Like that doesn't make any sense. And it's right. like, obviously it's evolved so much over, over the years, yeah. like, Initial version of Vaden back then called Millstone was essentially just uh, like everything you clicked, it would just re-render the whole page and send you a new XSLT transformed. Oh wow! <laughs> or the wire. Then this new technology Ajax came Ajax. along. I don't know if you remember Ajax, but we of hopped course. on that train and and built our own our own front front end that kind of had a Ajax front end talking to the Java back end and. Back then, like the Wild West of like IE and Netscape and like trying to get anything to work was like so much or it was just so time consuming that we couldn't like as a tiny little company keep doing that. So then Google came out with GWT, which is like write your front end code in Java and have Google take care of actually making it work on every browser right. out there. It was like, yes, amazing. Yes. <laughs> and so we did and that was like Vaden's client-side foundation for such a long time and right uh just five or it was, i think it was 2018 or 2019 when we did a bigger re-architecture of how the front or kind of the front end part of Vaden works where it's now based on w3c uh standard web right. components instead of gwt so essentially what happened was like if you do a web framework for long enough, the web platform catches up and solves a lot of the problems that you had initially. And instead of like finding that we were like, awesome, let's take advantage of these new technologies that are out there and kind of let the browser take care of all these things that we've been doing. Right. And so now we have a, a big library of UI components that are essentially just custom HTML tags that you can use in any framework. And then we have our own uh two frameworks that you can use them with so like obviously it's it, it's it has a long history but it's evolved quite a bit over over the quite years quite a bit well so let, like let's talk That's about that I'm so here too and like i've like when i talk to people like uh just like the the flip side of having this long history is that uh we got a lot of questions like oh are you still using dwt or like right people remember vaadin but they might remember vaadin from like three years ago, seven years ago, 12 years ago, and, right. and kind of assume that we're pretty much still where we were back then, which isn't the case. No, but it's it's one thing that seems to be the through line from all the incarnations of Vaden that I know about. The through line seems to be um, a very, very quick way to get a slick-looking user interface with business logic. Like... I don't this I don't mean this in a bad way, but it kind of reminds me of like Visual Basic for the web, right? Like it's it's component oriented. It's a way to build apps that look good and that are quick and fast and easy to use. Um and I you know, if you want to like change every little detail of every little font and every little pixel, then 
then maybe you're going against the grain here, right? But but if you want a good-looking application that is data-driven and you know stateful and rich, then there's no faster way. You know, it's just it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're really what we're optimizing the frameworks for is helping people build kind of business apps. Like, yes, I was going to say that too. Yeah, yeah. So, so these are these are the apps that basically run the entire world. For the most part, they yep. are really bad. People don't enjoy using them, and we think that business apps like they shouldn't suck. So we're we're trying to really kind of solve this problem in the world. Like, how how do we help people build better business apps? And so what we're really focusing on is increasing developer productivity and also maintainability because right. typically these apps are something that you build and then you need to maintain them for say, I don't know, three years, five years. And and if every piece of your puzzle keeps changing like every two months during that five wow. years, you're not going to have a good time and you're not going to be able to deliver more more value to your end users because you're just <laughs> kind of playing catch up trying to like have your ship not sink. So, well, so that's, we're really, that's what we're focusing on. So uh, just like we, we try to give as many of these like UI components and all the building blocks and like take care of the full stack and communication and everything just so we can have you focus on on what's really important for your user yeah. and delivering value. Yeah. Well, that's so that's a great way to think about it, right? Like I, uh, it's very easy for me to take a design in Figma and turn it into a VOD app, right? Like it is supernatural. And yeah, and and especially now because we have a figma library of all our components so you can give that what? to your designer which reigns them in they can only use the components that actually exist right so that because we we used to have like the problem like or I, i'm sure you've worked with designers like sometimes yeah. they get creative and they think of all kinds of cool new patterns that you're like yeah. as a designer you're like well how how the heck am i going to implement, implement this but that. <laughs> speaking the same language you have the same kind of ui patterns we've We've actually like evolved our our thinking from being just kind of a library of components back in the day to actually being a design system where it's a little bit more kind of it, it gives you as a developer more guidance too on like when should you use this component as opposed to that component gives you some like bigger UI patterns that are kind of uh, good for 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 the user. So we're we're trying to kind of help people build yeah. applications and. And that is also by reducing the skills required to get those applications, right? So it's not just a better application. It's done with fewer moving parts or, you know, like, because, yeah. you know, the way I think about it, and you could tell me if I'm wrong, but the way I think about it is I'm writing Java code and eventually a UI appears, right? Like, um, uh, yes, there's a HTML web component front end, but I don't really deal with that for most of my interactions with modern right or with that technology is that true yeah yeah that's that's true so we've like when you're working with vod and flow as we call this we, we recently released another framework called hilla which is kind of a a reactive typescript front end connecting to java backend so right now what we're talking about is what we call vod and flow and right. when you use your you're defining your ui in java you're on a much higher level of abstraction it like just looking at the code it doesn't necessarily look like you're building a web app. It looks more like you're building maybe a desktop application. So you're, yeah. defining, like, you're defining components, you're listening to events and you're updating the UI kind of based on those events. It's super productive. If you're kind of very data heavy, you're right there with your data. So if you're using spring data or whatever, you're like, you, you can just reach out and grab that data right there and 
and and that's super powerful you, you're not right. exposed to all the moving pieces of like how do i make a request and and like how do i optimize this actually like i need to fetch four pieces of information like do i do four different requests or do i do one and like try to do it on the server like you don't have to think about that you just call your spring services you do your thing and the framework will take care of just sending over the bare minimum of data needed to the browser to actually render that ui so and that's the that's do, the do, part do. i what no so it just reduces the amount of things that you as a developer need to deal with. Right. Well, it, I, it's so, okay. So I'm trying to describe this because I've seen this magic trick and I understand what you're saying, but it's impossible for somebody to understand what, what we're talking about at this point. Like, okay. So, you, so basically you write a, it looks like a swing app or a, a, a GW, a, a, um, not odd, but what's the other one? SWT, right. From, um, Eclipse, right? It looks like a, any kind of like window component framework. You write yep. Java code, you assemble panels with buttons and widgets and all this stuff. And then you compile and run it and you open up your browser and there's a web page with buttons and panels and widgets and you click on them and they don't, it's all client side JavaScript. So I wrote Java. Somehow that got turned into a web page with JavaScript and HTML and Dynamics, and then when I when I sort the field, when I sort the the list or whatever, I'm actually sorting a data structure on the server side. But I didn't do anything in my Java code to handle that interaction between the client side. There is no there's no explicit mention really of that. You don't even know you're dealing with that. Yeah, you don't have to deal with that. So say you have a you have a data grid with hundred thousand items, like the framework yeah. will only send over the whatever 10 or so items that are needed at any given moment. And it'll keep fetching more as you scroll down or filter or do whatever, like that's, that's taken care of for you. And it's so, just on the server side, all you did was implement an interface or, or provide a, a bean of a certain type. I mean, it's just Java code that yeah. feels reasonable for server side Java. And somehow you get this beautiful themed well-skinned yeah. ergonomic user interface. And it's just such a magic trick. Yeah. Know? So like the way that works is like the application itself, uh, itself runs on the JVM and essentially the browser in this uh, framework works kind of like a, a thin client, like a rendering engine, if you will. So when a user comes in, the app does its thing, it figures out, well, what is, what is the UI state right now? It sends over a very kind of compressed instruction to the client saying like, Hey, here, I need you to render these components with these like values and whatnot. And you will have that uh, appear in your browser. And then as you say, sort the grid or scroll right. down that event goes to the server, it updates itself and just sends over a tiny little diff saying like, well, Hey browser, like here's the things that you need to change as a result of that call. So it uses this like very, very optimized communication protocol to just update the browser with kind of the bare minimum of information needed at any moment. There's a, like this architecture is a little bit weird, but also just been very powerful and helping us kind of keep that Java API very stable throughout these 20 years. Whereas the browser implementation of it has changed over and over and over again. Yeah. And it makes sense because like the concept of a button or a horizontal layout hasn't changed over time. It's the implementation that has changed. So if you're not exposed to the implementation of it, uh, you're not as a kind of 
you don't have to care about how it's implemented in a, in a way. So that that's been kind of one of the, the driving forces of why it's been able to stay relevant for that long. Right. Uh, it's also like, we can see that some companies, especially say like, like industries that are very security conscious, say banking, healthcare, yeah. government, they like this architecture very much just because it keeps like their entire app. Everything runs on the server. There is, literally nothing about the app running in, in, in the browser. It's just like, just data. Your, yeah. Your, your browser rendering engine is the same as mine or any other app out there. So there's nothing to be deduced about like what that application does or should do. There's like no endpoints exposed or anything. So they, they very much enjoy that kind of side benefit of this yeah, yeah. Arc as well. It's awesome. And, and, and by the way, if, if you want like a, cause you know, I, it's true that you, end up with a Vaadin, it's a client server app, right? You have a client that runs in the yeah. browser, but you have a server as well. And and yet mm-hmm. somehow it doesn't feel like that because you ship one thing, you write yeah. code for one thing and somehow you yeah. get both pieces, right? It's just a very, you're, and you're right. The, there is nothing obviously API-like about the server side component from the outside. You don't have any sense of what the service area of the API is because from the server side, you don't deal with that. You just write code that uses your Spring Data Repository. You just write code that uses other microservices, maybe, or, or, or yeah. you know, you call, you do whatever you do on the server side. Or it could just be a SQL database. You could all do, it can just all be data that you're talking to from your service in a Spring Bean, you know, like it, and that somehow gets shown up on the JavaScript client. How? I don't know. Just magic. Sorcery. <laughs> it's so Basically. good. What, so is it still the case, like, I mean, obviously, you are doing. There's some server side state here, right? Like, there is, yeah. It's, but there's always state for everything, so that's not controversial, right? Everything has state, but what is there a? Is it keeping the the component tree for the pages in session state, or like, what does that look like in terms of the yeah. server side resource that's, utilization? That's actually what what's happening when you're using modern flows that keeps the the component state in the session. We have actually where it's one of our R and D projects right now is to kind of revisit this, like now 2023, I guess it's just like thinking about like, what could like, if we rethought this a little bit, like if we introduced a kind of, kind of a, a separation of the kind of the view state and the view declaration. So have more of a declarative way of defining the state that would mm-hmm. essentially that if if the kind of declarative part is always the same only the state part is different that means that we could only save the actual like strings and integers and whatever else is unique to that person so that would essentially allow us to not have to save the actual component tree in, in memory and kind of reduce that quite a bit and, and I... kind of more more modern uh kind of people really like this kind of a declarative reactive programming model and there's no reason yeah. why you couldn't have java as well is what we're thinking so that's cool something that we're investigating but uh what how it works today is exactly as you say it has that component state uh on the server so that means that obviously it's going to be a little bit heavier on your server than like say a purely stateless thing but we we have but there's no such the- thing as purely stateless there's states somewhere so it's it's fine. There's more somewhere, and and I mean, it's like like we said, we're we're kind of targeting these business applications yes. where we're not 
we're not really targeting the people who are building the next Twitter. I, I hear sure. we might need one. So, <laughs> so we're talking about people who are building kind of uh, business applications that tend to have like, say, at most tens of thousands of users. And, and that's, yeah. not, that's fine. not a challenge at all to, to handle with that architecture. No. That So it, it's, it's really well. So, yeah. so about that. Okay. So um, I think about it like this, every single web app that we see on it, every single twitter.com, there's like countless portals and backend operator admin user interfaces and all these, you know, all these things that different people log into to support different facets of twitter.com. So yep. there's, you know, for every stateless twitter.com, there's a, a, a countless number of business style apps for like ads and for, you know, safety and all the, all these things that people need to log in at different points. And it's just, who writes that code? And do I want to hire a full team of designers and you, you know, design language people and all that stuff? Or do I just want to get something out there and let people get to the business of administering the service, you know, and Vodden is great for that. Now you mentioned the state, like changing, having a dynamic component model is really interesting to me. Did you ever use Apache Tapestry? I don't remember that we... Okay, it was it was kind of... A, it was... Um, it was based on web objects, right? So web mm-hmm. objects was Apple's, like, component model for building app, apps on the server. Uh, and there was, like, an ORM and a web component framework. And the idea was, with Tapestry, it was a Java project. And yep. you'd, have a, you'd have a page class on the server side in Java code. Yeah. You'd have an HTML page, which was a tapestry template, mm-hmm. and and the tapestry template was was the component model, right? So you'd render that, you'd define, you'd write the markup for the tapestry template, the page, and you'd you'd say, okay, this button lives underneath this menu, uh, and this menu is contained by this, um, you know, menu bar, and you'd have like a a sidebar component and a main component and a footer component, whatever. And you you can see in the markup where these custom templated components look, lived, right? You'd have a namespace component, right? Uh, and so you could yeah. say capital, you know, a left bracket, capital M menu, and then open, you know, close bracket, and then write the markup for the menu. And that would be, that would invoke the menu component, which would then contribute dynamic behavior during the render, rendering. And, and if somebody clicked on a button, um, you know, you could have that trigger post back. It didn't do client side state. They, you know, they tried at the end, but it didn't. It was too little, too late, right? But it was all postback based. It was like ASP.NET MV, uh, yeah. ASP.NET forms, right? Um, yeah. But the difference was the template was fixed once. The, once you loaded the template, the the design that was yeah. the component tree, right? Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to show like a hundred um, different names, you know, then what I was doing was I was reevaluating the same template multiple times. Yeah. Right? I wasn't adding a hundred instances of the thing in the for loop. Like yeah. I wasn't rendering a hundred label components. Yeah. I was I was rendering one label component that reevaluated itself a hundred times. So the component okay. tree was fixed, right? That's what I'm saying. On the server side, there was no state dedicated to keeping the component tree. It was just yeah dedicated to the data but the problem was every now and then you know you'd want to do something like hey i want to add a component is there a way for when somebody clicks on this link for me to add this widget over here 
like in response to somebody clicking the link, I want to create a new component graph dynamically. And you couldn't do that, right? It was not possible to add components to the tree once the tree was built, right? Yeah. Um, and that's something we see a lot of people do with Vaughn is building super dynamic data-driven. Right. Like, Which is fine. You know, that's what you want. And so I, I'm just saying it. A of, yeah, a lot of cruds being generated based on whatever data type you're pulling out of your database, and like, I mean that that's what a lot of apps are. Essentially. Yeah, totally. So I, if you're gonna do this exploration around like a fixed graph of of components, and just keeping the data state, you know, good luck. But make sure you don't give up the ability to create dynamic components because that was one oh, of the limitations. Oh, no, no, of no. I mean, yeah, no, we're. It's more like this, the, the way that, say, React or, or like Lit that we're using in Hilla works, where you yeah. have kind of a, a template. Like the template is dynamic, like it can inc- include all kinds of like uh, uh, conditionals and loops and right. whatnot. So, anyway, like this is still very early. It's early exci- exciting. But it's I mean, exciting. it's interesting to just kind of poke around and see, like, could we do it? Like, would it work? Like, I mean, it's possible that it doesn't work, yeah. but I mean, it's <laughs> certainly worth oh, like, sure. exploring and seeing like, could we do something really cool? I don't doubt you can. I Knowing knowing the amazing people working on Vaadin, I have no doubt. So, okay, let's go back to this. So um, Vaadin used to be based on GWT, GWT. And back then you would write a component, you'd write a Java class, the Java class would have logic attached to it. And then you'd write the corresponding H, you know, JavaScript code. And it was, you have JavaScript native methods in GWT, right? So that would be the part where there'd be like a handoff. I would, this part would be hand implemented by the JavaScript code. So I could call that method. It would call something on the JavaScript side. You know what I'm saying? Um, what happened there? Like, what is that still in play? Do you still have this concept of JavaScript native methods? I think we lost him. Hmm. Well, there. Yeah, uh, my my Comcast is not collaborating with me today. I'm, no, well, I'm okay. sorry. Anyway, no big deal. So, uh, so templates, yeah, whatnot. Oh, so, so okay. Let's talk about that. I was going to say it was it used to be that you were based on GWT, GWT, and yep. the process of of working with it was for ninety nine percent of the cases you just write Java code every yep. now and then somebody would get creative and they wanted to create their own component because they had some, some designer that insisted that it must look this particular way. So fine. Okay. You can still yeah. in Gwit, you could uh, create, I forget, did you create an HTML file or an XML? I don't know. You created uh, a JavaScript code though, and you created some sort of component and then there's JavaScript native methods, right? Not J and I, but JS and I, right? Yeah. So I could actually, and then how did, I forget it. I could invoke a method in my Java code. And that in turn somehow got turned into a call in JavaScript, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, with Gwit, you could write essentially JavaScript code in Java. It got transpiled 
right to, and and you did have like that jsni where you could kind of drop through the abstraction and actually call javascript to apis if you wanted to but so yeah. magic okay so yeah. th- that and then for for Vodden, i don't remember having to do that what it, what was it like to create a component based on because what, what i'm trying to figure out here is how does somebody extend this framework and how did it work before and what does it look like now? Like, because Vaude is really good, right? I, I haven't met an app where I couldn't describe the data in the app in terms of Vaude's pre-built widgets and components yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. But what is, what happens if somebody wants to extend it? Is it possible? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like I mentioned, uh, we're using the web component kind of based components right now. So essentially yeah. if you wanted to, create your own component or find a third-party component somewhere and use that. Uh, essentially what you do is you NPM install it. Usually like if it's a third-party component, write it yourself. If, <laughs> if it's your own, then you create a essentially a Java counterpart for it. So you make a class that extends from component or one of the other helpers. So we have like interfaces like abs- or abstract classes, like uh, abstract single value field or something if you if your component happens to like only have a single value you can <laughs> automate some of that but essentially you you extend from a java class called component you add a couple of annotations saying like here's the html tag name that i'm that i want to attach this java to uh and then you can just start setting uh setting properties you can listen to events and uh, essentially just hook up all the functionality kind of mapping between your between your java code and and the client side code the framework itself will take care of all the actual like communication between the wow. html counterpart and 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 what's running on the server so how at some point is there some meta thing that says that if i set a field here that needs to be communicated to the client like how do i say that a change in this variable Result in a change in some state. How do I do binding? Well, yeah, you can you can define like how you want to like. Essentially, all of that gets translated to either you setting attributes or properties on on okay. the on the underlying HTML element, which then gets sent over to the client. And you can the oh, other okay, way so around. You can the other way around. You can add listeners for events happening on the client side component, and then handle them in Java. So. Oh, is it just like events? So if I change something here, there's an event that's fired in the JavaScript code, or something. Yeah, and that and that goes to the to the server, and you can then deal with that however you want. So you can set an internal value, or I don't know, fire a Java event that's corresponding to it, or whatever right. else you might want to do with that information. So okay, so this is like Vaden Flow, and Vaden Flow has a bunch of components, and it, you know, it's like just like any. Uh, I, I, again, it's not the same thing, but it, it feels very much like a JavaFX app or a Swing app or, you know, SWT app or a whatever, Windows Form app. You know, it's a very widgety, component-oriented yep. uh, style of building software. Yeah. Um, what? But the thing is, I if I want to use it with Spring Boot, I guess there's a Spring Boot starter, so I would use Spring Boot as the, my public static void main is Spring Boot, and then I would yep, correct. auto-configure Vaden, what do I get when I use the Spring Boot starter? Like, what is so, that? Yeah, we use Spring Boot by by default. So if you go to our website and you download a starter, it's going to be using Spring Boot by default. Yeah. Uh, so if you generate a new project, it's a Spring Boot app. 
Yeah, that's okay. right. So it's essentially that's our default stack, if you will. Uh, it, I mean, it takes care of pretty much all the all the plumbing you need, so you don't have to care about pretty much any setup. So yeah. the way you kind of take any of the components, typically it'll be a layout. You would add a annotation saying route and then a path, a string as a path, like empty string would mean that this is going to be the context root of my application is going to get rendered whenever you just hit localhost 8080 or whatever your domain is. Or then you can add routes like hello-world and that would map that component to hello-world route. So it's pretty straightforward. Each of those views or components are are spring beans essentially as you can you can oh. auto wire things into your components you can call services you can fetch data you can do whatever you want uh essentially anything you could do in in, in spring you can do in in those modern views wow so i can inject my my service from right the into, wi- the into into the widget and then when there's an event for like button clicked i can call a method in that service get the data and set the field yep that's and, oh. and when you do that the the framework will again look at like what was the change to our kind of component tree based on that value that you set and if you only change like a little label say like somewhere it would only send over that information and i would get then rendered in the browser and updated there oh, so cool. wait is that using like a virtual dom kind of thing where where like, well, like, I like mean, a you, you could call it, you could call it that, but we've been doing this way longer than React. So I, I think. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So that's really cool. That is uh, now, but I still don't. So when I use Spring Boot and I'm using Vaadin with a Spring Boot app, what's it configuring for me? If I just do public static void main and nothing else, I've just got the Spring Boot starter for Vaadin on the class path. Yep. What gets created? What's happening behind the scenes? I haven't written any have, Java code. Just if you don't have any Java code, uh, I think under the hood, Vaadin, uh, I think Vaadin would configure its Vaadin servlet, which is kind of that communication endpoint that it uses internally. But since you don't have a view of any kind mapped, like nothing would happen essentially at that oh, point. Okay. So most likely you would want to add one one class which extends from a Vaadin component, whether that's a layout or any other component. You want to map that to uh, an empty route, and that would then give you a visible result oh, in your browser. That's so, so, cool. it, so if you want to start Spring.io, I I hear you like that. I do, uh, I do. Right. Too much. So if you go there and you select Vaadin, uh, you'll get an application that is essentially exactly what you just described. It, if you run it, you will not see anything in your browser just because you don't have a view configured. So you just add a class somewhere, uh, extend from, say, I don't know, vertical layout, and you would add a at route with an empty empty string, which would then map that to your context route. And anything you put in that layout will just appear in your browser as you as you code. So if you're using Spring Dev Tools, anytime you save your code, it'll just reload the browser. You can see see, see stuff appearing there. That's amazing. So um okay. So I've got a servlet engine i've got the component framework what i mean i and, and spring has support for internationalization so i guess that's all i guess i could yep. use that too for making the yep. ta- labels and stuff like that internationalized exactly um security what does that look like like uh, we I use this spring thing called spring security 
Oh, it's server side. I mean, it's, it's cool. very strange. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah. So we, uh, yeah, we have a, there's a built in helper in, in Vaughn essentially just kind of extending from the base Spring Boot uh, or Spring Security configuration. And you can use that. Uh, and then we just recently launched a SSO kit, which essentially just helps you configure if you're using an SSO provider, Octa Key Cloak, wow. like whatever else you might be using in, in an enterprise setting, just takes care of setting that up and also like uh, single sign out and kind of all, yeah. all kinds of other edge cases that are, aren't as apparent as when you're developing, but you probably want to <laughs> probably want to deal with in, in real life. So like it, so we, we have kind of support for that, but setting up spring security is very straightforward. That's kind of built into the, to the framework. Wow. Okay. Because it's all server side. So of course, why not, why not use spring security? That makes a lot of sense. It just, again, I'm used to the visible manifestation of a VOD and that being this client side JavaScript thing. So it's so weird when you're like, Hey, yeah, just use spring security. Yeah. It makes, makes sense, but it's weird. It's just weird. I'm telling you it's magic and it works. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Things can be weird, but good weird. <laughs> Very good. The best kind of good and weird. Okay. So, okay. So I've got internationalization. I've got the ability to inject resources and talk to my server. I mean, I, I am on the server side. There's nothing to talk to. I just talk to myself. Uh, I can call databases and message queues and do all that. Yep. Um, okay. And that's kind of interesting too, by the way. That means I could get a message from Kafka and then have a UI change on the client. And I don't need to like set up a WebSocket connection. I can just change the state and then the client will change somehow there well, i guess yeah. well that's a good good point so if you want to do that uh you want to add a at push annotation on your application class is that which all will, yeah so that, that's going to switch like by default one is going to use just xhr requests for, right. for events but if you have a use case like this where you want to push data to your client you just add the at push there which tells one to use a websocket connection instead and that's one of the kind of beauties of having the framework take care of the communication for you. You can just tell like, well, use this instead. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much that's it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay. So I guess I'm, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is this seems pretty straightforward. It seems like I could really easily get something going and you know, what, why do I need Hilla? What, what's there to do still that isn't done yet by this amazing arrangement? Well, it turns out not every developer in the world knows Java or like oh, those two people. Yeah. Okay. Or there are these people who just very much enjoy kind of working closer to browser technology. There are things a like there there are some kind of uh downsides to this architecture as well. Like for instance, when when it's running on the server, things like doing offline support becomes very difficult because you're, you're, right. You can't literally can't access the the server. There are other things where having a separate client side application might be beneficial for for you. But mostly, like the the reason we introduced Hilla was just to be able to support teams with different kind of needs or preferences in, in right. their deck. So uh, the beauty of having these two frameworks means that we can kind of support teams that either prefer to build everything in Java tends to be like very Kind of, if you have a team of Java developers who want to build an app, it's like the tool is made for them. If you have like a full stack team where you have maybe TypeScript developers or front end developers, you have Java developers all happily coding together, uh, right. or 
in many cases, that might be the same person who just enjoys kind of working with a full stack kind of technology tool uh, toolbox. Um, we can support them as well. And what we see really is in even within the same organization, there are teams who prefer one or the other. Totally. But because we use the same UI components, the same design system across, you can have apps that are visually consistent, UI, UX is consistent across these, even though they're kind of developed using uh, two different frameworks. So it's pretty cool, actually. Very cool. Well, that's that's amazing. So, so Hilla is a framework, and I noticed, I, I mean, I did a Spring Tips video on this. I'm a big fan uh, of, uh, you know, of what you're doing here. So that's a way to have to use familiar tools that people are used to using for building client-side apps like TypeScript and web web components and so on, but to marry that with server-side uh, Spring Boot and, and and the like. Yeah, exactly. So so we see that, like like I said, we, we see a lot of teams who just prefer to work with like a client-side app connecting to a Spring Boot backend, and, and that's fine. We But we still see like there's a lot of value in this kind of philosophy that we've had over the years where you have type safety all the way from your database all the way up to the view layer, like one safety net that keeps your app together. And that's like, like I mentioned earlier, we're really trying to optimize for these long-lived applications that are really important. So as Java developers, we're so used to like having this type safety net just telling us like, oops, Josh, you you changed this, but you're going to break that thing over there. So you better fix it. But when you have a untyped REST connection under, like between your front end and your back end, it's very easy to go and change something on the back end and not realize that hey, somebody over there was depending on this thing being exactly the way it was before. And right. by essentially introducing a type safe way of calling the back end from TypeScript with that same type information flowing all the way from the back end all the way to the TypeScript view code, we can kind of have that same safety net available also for these teams. So that helps awesome. you move faster uh, because like one of the things I don't like about doing front-end develop is, is having like Swagger docs open and trying to figure yeah. out like, what was the path and like, what were oh. the parameters? How, what is the uh, kind of return? What does it look like? How do I cast like, uh, so it's it's tedious. Also, it's like a pain, but like with Hilla, when you expose your rent endpoint, what you can do is you, you go into your ID, you start typing in TypeScript, like your endpoint name dot, and then you can see, well, here's a list of all the methods that it exposes. Here's the like parameters they take in. Here's what they return. Like it, you, you get the full kind of autocomplete kind of Love it. experience, which means that you don't have to like, you can just stay in, in your, in your application coding. And, um, and also it means that whenever, somebody comes along six months from now and pokes around in the backend code and changes something that they shouldn't have, they're going to get a build time error saying like, Hey, you actually broke these two TypeScript files as well. So like do something about <laughs> so it. Cool. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Oh man. That's yeah. so cool. Like, yeah. People should try this out. That's. And so, okay. And they're both, this is still based on spring boot in the backend, right? They're using spring yep. boot. Um, and is that so? Is that using that's using Vaadin Vaadin Flow, I guess. Is that no, true? It's some, no. no. Okay. Go no, on. No, it's well. I mean, there are some small like parts of infrastructure that they share these two frameworks, sure. but essentially, it's it's the component set that's shared between them, and yeah. and that's kind of the the major overlap between 
the frameworks. Oh. It, it's it's kind of the components that, and the idea that we want to have like this full stack framework that gives you like end-to-end type safety that is kind of shared between them. You can run them in the same application. So we do see some customers where they have a couple of views that they want to have, say, available offline where they could build those using Hilla uh, mm-hmm. and have the rest in kind of flow. But that that's more of a special use case. So we typically see customers choosing one or the other. Wow. But cool. any, anyway, so yeah. So on, on the server, what's running is just basically plain spring boot more or less and yep. the way you define an endpoint looks very similar to how you would do like a rest endpoint so instead of doing like a rest controller you do a at endpoint so just endpoint annotation and what that tells hilla is make this class or the the, the kind of methods in this class callable from typescript right. so it, it basically generates typescript for the endpoint, just kind of de- de- uh, defining all the th- methods that are there. It creates types for the kind of uh, method signature. So whatever you're like, if you're exposing objects of a certain type, you'll get the same TypeScript types as you're uh, returning from those methods. And what's what's kind of then different also from REST is that you get these TypeScript methods that have the same signature as your Java method. So when you're in your TypeScript code, it, you just call a method instead of having a URL that you call. And that method has the same signature as your Java method has. So uh, with with the exception that they are asynchronous uh, methods. So you, they're essentially you await them. Right. Uh, TypeScript, just so we don't block the UI code, but, but the same signature still applies. Um, wow. So that, that kind of simplifies a lot of things. Another thing that we do just based on this information that we have. So, I mean, what makes Hilla different from just taking Spring Boot and whatever front-end framework you have is that because we know that you're using Java on the back end, we can optimize a lot of things for Java. So, for instance, if you have uh, validation annotations on your data object, like say first name and last name can't be empty email. Must right. Be- whatever uh, you can reuse those like on the server and on the client. So you can, in your client form, you can use the same validations. They're going to show up in the UI saying like, Hey, you need to sort this out. And then when you save that back to the server, it's going to revalidate that same thing. So again, that's another thing that's kind of necessary to do in a client side application. Cause you can't trust anything essentially that the, like you can help the user by providing right. validations in the client, but you can't, as a server, trust really anything that the like client sends. So you have to revalidate that, and that's always just a pain to deal. Yeah, as a as a developer, you don't you'd rather not. So like, right. well, since we know what it should be, like we can just do that for you. DRY. Wait, so you mentioned as a Java developer, can I use Kotlin, for example? Yeah. So we we're just working on kind of a revamp of how we generate the TypeScript and the new generation uh, or generator that we have is doing now bytecode analysis instead of uh-huh. code analysis that it was doing before. So now you can use Kotlin. I have done so and it's very nice. Is it, it uh, GA yet or is that coming soon or? It's, uh, it's there uh, right now. You have to toggle a feature flag on to like opt in to use it. So there might be some rough edges, but it works very nice. So one of the challenges that you will notice if you're using Hilla today with Java on the backend is that Java's 
concept of nullability is very different from TypeScript, where in Java, it's like, <laughs> oh, everything can be null. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Whereas TypeScript is exactly the same as Kotlin, where like, unless you specifically say that something can be null, it cannot be null. Right. So uh, what I found when I was playing around with Kotlin and and uh, and Hilla was that it was very nice because the the kind of null abilities matched up exactly. So I don't have to like specifically help Hilla to say like, Hey, this, this will never be null kind oh, of deal. Wow. So, so. Oh, that's super cool. Oh yeah, man. So I, I'm, like... I'm, I'm very stoked. I, I, I enjoy working with Kotlin as well. I haven't done that much, but it's just like, I, I enjoy the elegance of, of the language. Yeah. And TypeScript's a nice language too. And it, they really feel they're almost the same language. They're not They're Obviously there's a huge difference between them, but like, they're, they're certainly a lot closer than Java and TypeScript, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think they, they, they match up really well, like you say. So, yeah. so it's, that's pretty cool. Another um, really cool thing that we have in, in Hilla that I want to mention okay. uh, is support for reactive endpoints. So not only oh, yeah. can you return objects or strings or primitives or whatever, but you can also return a flux or a mono from that uh from that endpoint and what that means is on the typescript client you can subscribe to it so just say like on next and you can update your view as things happen on the server so very much oh, the same wow. about having push support and in flow you can return a flux of whatever thing happening in your back end uh and you can then in your uh front end you can just have that automatically update the ui so that's something that's really cool uh, and, and something that I'm kind of talking about it in conferences right now is just like, how do you build this full stack reactive application? So it's just in a few that's lines of code, so cool. it's just magic how you can see like events flowing all the way from from your whatever <laughs> message queue or right. Kafka or wherever you're getting events and you just pass them along to the to the browser. It's to the endpoint. Automatically. Oh, yeah, super uh, slick. Yeah. So the, okay, and that's actually better for the uh, scalability too. By the way, that's like that's a good deal for everybody. It's end to end back pressure. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So Hela gives me a very easy way to build apps where I can incorporate JavaScript and I have more control there without losing some of the consistency and scalability of using a type language like Java in a yeah. you know single language. Um, they're both using spring. They've got reactive support. Yep. Uh, like I saw, I, I, you know, I saw that great tweet that you put out. Was it, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, showing the new AOT stuff. Yes. Um, can you talk Super about that? About that. Yeah. So we're working on just like, obviously spring boot three and spring six is coming out with some pretty cool stuff. And we wanted to make sure that. Hilla supports that as well. So we're, this is not in the kind of release that we have right now, but we have a prototype. Sure. And it, it, it's pretty amazing. So like if you take your Hill app, you compile it to native, it starts in just a fraction of a second, uses up, it was just over a hundred megs of RAM usage wow. total for like Spring Boot and, and the Hill app all together, awesome. which is <laughs> which is pretty great. Like, uh, unlike, uh, flow apps, uh, Hill right. is essentially stateless, like, well, like oh. or can be completely stateless if you so choose. So there, there's like 
kind of scalability wise wow. that can be also like a reason why some some people kind of lean towards it in some so use cases you have I more so I could deploy a, a, a data-driven Spring Boot app with a rich client user interface that has no real state, no server-side well, session well, state. Well, the browser has the state, yeah, like you said. The state, no yeah, state. <laughs> it's always somewhere, but no server-side state, or if, or certainly not any. Like it might be an authenticated session or something like that, which is fine. That you know, normal state that people expect, and it takes a hundred megs of RAM, yeah, and it starts up in, you know, whatever fifty milliseconds. Like, yep. seems like a good deal to me. I mean, that's heck. I, <laughs> yeah, that would be a good deal. <laughs> that would be a good deal on an iPhone or an Android app, let alone on a server side app. You know, that's a really good deal. They have all that in such a small package. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited. I know it's early days. We just dropped Spring Framework 6 yesterday, so I don't expect that to be out any any. I don't know what yeah, plans we're, are. But it we're might be like, yeah, we we already got it working. So like, we're hoping to get it out as soon as possible so Take everyone else can start playing around with it. We're also, but it is exciting. It, it is, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> pretty stoked about that. And those reactive endpoints too. That's So I can do reactive? Wow, man. That is really cool. Like uh, that, The yeah. idea of having bi-directional communication, reactive, you know, easy, smooth integration between yeah. my rich user interface and the back end. We might need to do a, a quick little like demo together just oh that'd be so cool well i would i would just be following your lead i have no idea what i'm doing i'm yeah I, I, anyway uh, speaking of reactive we're also like another thing that we're adding to hilla is uh react support uh as Ooh. of mid-december roughly so right now the only choice of front-end flavor you have is lit which is this library by google which is right actually exactly the same as as react just kind of using web component standards but what we've heard from early users is that a lot of people are using React. They like using React, and there's no reason why they couldn't be using React. So we added support for React as well. So you, again, you have the same components, uh, same backend, same endpoints, same everything. It's just like you're using React to orchestrate the front-end application instead of Lit. So, wow, I dig it. This I like. I like. I like what I'm hearing. Um, just. I don't know. It just seems like a really, really good time to be a, a Java developer right now. Where do people? Well, first of all, are you like? I, I is there anything else we should tell people about? Or I just feel like we haven't even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about Spring support, Hello React. Yep, yep, yep. I think we've talked about most of the most I mean, of the stuff. <laughs> like I, I, I certainly like. There's there's a long backlog of cool stuff that we're working on, but I, I don't think totally. We're, this podcast would never end if we could <laughs> go down that road. So, I mean, I just want to, I mean, I don't, I just don't think this is one of those rare episodes where no, no matter how hard I try, I just don't think me describing it is going to be as amazing as, as if people just go to try it. Like I, I, I we didn't even talk about this. Uh, Peter Leto and I did a demo like eight years ago where we flew a drone around using a VOD user interface. I mean, just, just some crazy possibilities that you would never think of. I mean, it's just an amazing framework. Go check it out, people. So first of all, where do they, are you on the internet? And if so, do you want to be found? And if so, where can people find you? Yes, I am on Twitter, if Twitter still exists when this comes out. <laughs> uh, Marcus um, Helberg. How do you spell that? 
just be very explicit because we can't all be the same. M-A-R-C-U-S-H-E-L-L-B-E-R-G. Okay. Show notes, we can paste it there. Uh, <laughs> same, same username on on uh, on GitHub. You can find me there. Yep. Uh, you should definitely, like, if you want to try out the frameworks, you can go to vaden.com to check out the Vaden Flow framework. Okay. Vaden is a deer, right? Of some sort? That is, it's a reindeer. So Vaden is a Finnish company, and Vaden means a female reindeer. Okay. So it's a Finnish company, and that's a female reindeer in the Finnish language. Correct. What is Hela? Hela is a cloudberry. So it kind of looks like a raspberry, but it's orange. And so so there are a lot of, (laughs) we we might have overdone this a little bit, but like, you know how raspberries are made out of these small segments, kind of like components. So it's like a component thing. And then it's like in the logo, the components are connected, kind of like symbolizing the server client connection kind of has that Adam look and feel to it with the center <laughs> and the things going around and it's a whole thing. And, and it's obviously beautiful. Cloudberry, like it's what's well, a cloudberry. I've never even heard of this. Well, you should look it up and it's, it's very tasty. If you have an Ikea near you, they have, cloudberry. Oh, it's awesome to put on. I thought that was like, Ling- is it Lindenberry or whatever? No, uh, no, no, no. That's uh it looks like a orange raspberry. Oh, I'm thinking, is that, is that, is the word I just said a real thing? It, it is, but it, lingerberry is essentially like a smaller cranberry. So it's, it's, oh. it's like very tart. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a different, different thing. Okay. I did. Okay. Okay. But either way, cloudberries, if you remember one thing from the show, let it, that, let it be that there's this great framework called Hilla. If you want to remember two things, cloudberry, that should be the second thing. Um, <laughs> Cause I've never even heard of that. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So, okay. So, you're Marcus Helberg on all the places uh, and people can go to vaden.com and hillaframework.io, is it? Uh, or... Hilla.dev, H-E-L-L. Hilla.dev. Dot dev, yeah. H-I-L-L-A. H-I-L-L-A dot dev. Yeah, E, or... e in the, the rest of the world. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. or if you find me on, on any of those places, you can probably click a link to, <laughs> that takes you to any of the... I, I really appreciate you taking the time, my friend. It's just been, uh, it's just been great. To, I can't believe if you had told me when I first saw that giant stack of books, you know, more than a decade ago, that I'd be very super interested in what the, my friends over at Vaughn are doing. You know, twelve years later, I, I would have, I yeah, wouldn't know how to feel. I mean, the the spring community feels like such a good home for us. It's like so, just just such a great community with like so many like interesting things happening all the time. Great people just, well, it's been, that's because of you, right? Like that's the whole, that's because of your, it's because of Vaden. It's because of what we're the spring. Yeah. You, it's, the feeling is, I feel this exact same thing because I'm looking at you, you know, I'm feeling the same, same thing. The community is amazing because you're amazing because the people that you bring into it are amazing. It's just, yeah. It's awesome. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Josh. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. 
I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.